War is raging in Ukraine right now, but there's been a colder war brewing for years between the United States and China. Two superpowers clamoring for global dominance by launching people into space, competing in an arms race and playing games of military chicken, and economic aid to other countries, of course. And a big battleground on that front is Central America. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. Today, how China's billions of dollars and influence in Central America could strengthen a new generation of regimes hostile to the US. Here to talk to me about all of this is my LA Times colleague, Latin American correspondent, Kate Linthicum. Kate, welcome to The Times. It's great to be here. Regular listeners know what's up in El Salvador because we've already had you on twice to talk about the country, but catch up any new listeners about who's in charge and what's going on right now. Yeah, so the president is a guy named Nayib Bukele, who was a former advertising executive who made a quick rise in politics. and was elected president in 2019. Since then, he's been extremely popular. He has super high approval ratings, like 85%. But at the same time, he's been increasingly doing these authoritarian moves. Um, He's purged the courts, installed judges who are loyal to him. He recently cleared the way for himself to run for re-election, which is constitutionally not allowed in El Salvador. So we have these kind of two things happening at the same time where he's got these autocratic leanings, but is still really popular. Yeah, and that strained El Salvador's relationship with the United States. So now Bukele has been drawing closer and closer to China. Right. He went to Beijing on a state visit in 2019. And... He's got sort of this really friendly relationship with the Chinese ambassador on social media. Bukele is very much a creature of Twitter. And when he says controversial things, things that the United States might criticize, he often gets messages of support from the Chinese ambassador. So at this time when the United States is punishing Bukele, moving aid away from his government, giving it to civil society, targeting members of his cabinet with sanctions, we see China really embracing this president. Kate, you recently went down to El Salvador to check out all this new construction that China is helping to fund. Yeah, so China is giving major gifts to El Salvador in an effort to kind of open markets there and also win political influence. So there's this massive library that they're building in San Salvador's central square. And it was really striking to me that in this very symbolic, you know, central square, 
of the nation, you know, this place where many important events have happened and sort of the heart of this country, we will soon see this seven-story library towering over it. Notice the writing of the project is mostly Chinese. Spanish is somewhat of an afterthought. You know, there's Chinese workers coming and going. Notice here, the building is going to say China in the upper right. Working alongside Salvadoran workers, and kind of a real era of excitement. A lot of people I talked to said they were very thrilled to have this new library going up, which they think will be important for kind of the younger generations. What other projects is China involved with in El Salvador? They're also constructing a massive 35,000-person soccer stadium, and they're reconstructing this pier on the country's Pacific coast. Is all of this part of something that I've heard called the Belt and Road Initiative, where China has been investing billions of dollars, like, say, in Africa and also the Middle East? Is it part of that same program? So what we're seeing in El Salvador isn't technically the Belt and Road Initiative, but it's certainly part of China's overall global strategy to open markets and win friends across the world. So throughout Latin America, and like you mentioned, Africa and and parts of Asia, you know, China comes in offering gifts, infrastructure projects. Then it offers really good deals to build roads, to build trains, to build new ports. And in doing so, it kind of creates relationships that help it later form economic ties. What's interesting about All this with El Salvador is that El Salvador didn't even have diplomatic relations with China until very recently. Right. China has its own diplomatic goals here. It wants countries in the region to switch recognition from Taiwan to Beijing. So it's been doing that sort of country by country, you know, giving these lavish gifts to places like El Salvador, to places like Nicaragua, basically convincing them to drop recognition of Taiwan and embrace Beijing. So then El Salvador did recognize Taiwan not too long ago. So in 2018 is when we saw El Salvador formally drop its ties with Taiwan and recognize Beijing. So a generation ago, the U.S. was worried about communist influence in Central America. And here we are again. How is this Cold War different from the one between the U.S. and Russia back then? Yeah, it's a really interesting comparison. Obviously, the Cold War that we saw rage throughout this region a generation ago was very much about ideology. It was about communism, socialism versus what the United States was selling, which was democracy. And now it's less ideological. China is not trying to spread its ideology throughout the region. It's really trying to create new economic markets. And one thing that's really interesting is China does not comment on the domestic politics of any of the countries that it's involved in here. So with El Salvador, when you see the president kind of doing these increasingly authoritarian moves, China's remained silent. And that's obviously really appealing for Bukele and other would-be autocrats in the region. China has this policy, basically, of non-intervention. They don't meddle with the domestic politics of their allies. 
Coming up after the break, China sets its sight on all of Latin America. Welcome back. China's expansion into Central America may be new, but the communist country has had a longer history of political involvement in the rest of Latin America. Here to talk about those inroads and what it might mean to the U.S. is Carol Wise. She's a professor of international relations at the University of Southern California. Carol, welcome to The Times. Thank you so much. Now, Chinese migration to Latin America has been happening for centuries and has impacted the culture of multiple countries. But when and where did China as a country start involving itself in Latin America? Well, if we go back to the beginning, you can see in the 50s and 60s that the People's Republic of China, the PRC, was very intent on joining with communist parties and communist groups in the region. Obviously, there were no diplomatic ties. You had a lot of interaction with the Chinese, inviting groups of journalists and students to China to meet Mao, to meet Zhou Enlai, the prime minister. So they were very active, but nothing like what happened, of course, in the early 2000s. With yesterday's decision on the accession of the People's Republic of China, we'll be expanding the membership of the WTO to include two giants of world trade. China joined the World Trade Organization. The United States is delighted by this historic achievement, nearly nine years in the making. And suddenly, in 2001, it had what we call most favored nation access to every other member of the World Trade Organization. By adding China to the WTO, we strengthen the organization by further integrating China's 1.2 billion people and $1 trillion economy into the world market network. This is where we begin to see the beginning of what most of us are calling the China boom. The interesting thing about China is that it's very resource scarce. They have coal. That's about it. They need copper wire, iron ore, natural gas, soybeans, fish mill. You look around the world and where is there the most abundant, richly abundant supply of copper, iron ore, fish mill, soybeans, all of these things. South America in particular. So China's strategy of getting these resources and commodities, it seems straightforward in big countries like Brazil and Peru, uh, Argentina, but that's not the case in Central America. So what's China looking for there? Okay, that's where the rubber hits the road, Gustavo. Now, prior to this, China really had no interest in this region, except that coincidentally, Many of the countries that still recognize Taiwan rather than China are in Central America. Trade, investment are pretty much non-starters between China and the Central American countries. But since the boom, Panama, El Salvador, the Dominican Republic, Dominica have all recognized China over Taiwan. Finally, Carol, What tactical advantage does China have in its policy of non-interference? In other words, of not going to these countries and, you know, dictating what sort of government efforts should be done the way the United States has traditionally done in Latin America. 
Mao Zedong, Zhou Enlai, Deng Xiaoping, these iconic names from the 20th century, all insisted that any interaction with sovereign states on the part of China would be non-interventionist and it would be non-imperialist. So we haven't seen that. Now, let me just put a little punch in here. You know that China and Russia are now allies. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? It'll be interesting to see how China reacts to Russia's intervention in Ukraine. This is going to push the non-interventionist, non-imperialist policy to the very limit. Carol, thank you so much for this conversation. Gustavo, you know so much about this. I so enjoyed the interview. Coming up, will China's influence in Latin America help strengthen anti-democratic regimes? And we're back with my L.A. Times colleague, Kate Linthicum. Kate, the non-interference loans that China keeps doling out across Latin America, people are worrying that that might strengthen anti-democratic regimes. Right. I mean, China is quite literally being an economic lifeline to several countries in the region. We see this, you know, really clearly with Nicaragua, a country that is a dictatorship. Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega is ahead by a wide margin in his bid for a fourth consecutive term in preliminary vote tallies for an election widely considered rigged. The president there has jailed his electoral opponents, has jailed journalists. Ortega, who turns 76 on Thursday, first served as president from 1985 to 1990 while battling U.S.-backed rebels. He returned to power in 2007. Nicaragua has faced sanctions from much of the world because of this, including from the United States. China comes in and in its quest to, you know, win kind of new economic markets there and also just win new allies in the region, it's offering a lot of real material goods. So China has offered to build a huge number of new apartment housing complexes in Nicaragua. There's a lot of speculation that China will be building new highways and other kind of big, real infrastructure projects that really are kind of help propping up this regime that has been kind of a pariah to most of the rest of the world. That's a fear that many now have about El Salvador and President Bukele. How reliant is he on China right now, especially since he's having issues with the United States? So it's important to point out that the China-El Salvador trade relationship really pales in comparison to the U.S.-El Salvador trade relationship. There is so much commerce between those two countries, and the U.S. has historically given hundreds of millions of dollars of aid to El Salvador each year, largely aimed at combating migration. So there is a a huge, strong relationship between those two countries. 
But China's aid to El Salvador is significant. You know, when Bukele went to Beijing in 2019, he returned with half a billion dollars in aid pledged from China. This is direct foreign aid, no strings attached. China spending half a billion dollars to build a massive stadium, a port, a new library, water treatment plants. And these projects, this assistance, you know, helps Bukele's presidency. These are projects he kind of gets to take credit for. Actions that we're taking right now, we'll start to take in the days and weeks to come, uh, will be immediately felt by the people of El Salvador that will eventually not feel the need or the urge to migrate to the United States because we will provide... In that way, China really is giving this pipeline of support to Bukele. Finally, Kate, you mentioned earlier about how Salvadorans don't seem to mind China's increased presence in their country, especially when it's compared to the United States. What else are you hearing from folks down there? Yeah, I mean, I think what I realize in in speaking to people is just how complicated El Salvador's relationship with the United States is. You know, there's this long history of these two countries' U.S. intervention in El Salvadoran politics, in Salvador's civil war, that leaves a lot of people kind of conflicted. There's also obviously, you know, these really close immigration ties, cultural ties. I think about a sixth of Salvadorans actually live in the United States. So it's a complicated thing. In the Estados Unidos, VBI, yeah. Ah, in donde? I was living in California, then I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Wow, muy diferente, no? Los dos. But I think, you know, as the U.S. ramps up its criticisms of this president, who happens to be really popular despite his power grabs, a lot of people say, why shouldn't we have a relationship with China? (laughs) (laughs) One person I spoke to on the street in San Salvador echoed something that Bukele has said a lot which is the U.S. doesn't own El Salvador. We own El Salvador. Kate, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, we go extra local and focus on the latest scandal engulfing the Los Angeles Fire Department. Kasha Brasalian was the hef on this episode, and our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz, our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Eaton. Special thanks to Update for sounds from the construction of El Salvador's library. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us to put you podcasts. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. 
Gracias.